I had an idea as well, this is a terrible idea, but I was thinking if I could redo my Tess of the Durbervilles casting, I'm really obsessed with that strawberry scene and how awkward it gets so fast. It's awful. He's sort of just like shoving, like, and her resisting the strawberries in her mouth. Is this like the Victorian era equivalent of that scene in They Live? in the alleyway where he's like oh, shoving the sunglasses on. on yeah yeah this um, is what the world's really like Welcome to Save Me From My Shelf, a literature podcast where we take classic tomes off their pedestal to make you less anxious about reading them. Our jokes come from a place of love and for a specific teaching purpose. However, if you think that making fun of great literature, and maybe some mild swearing, is offensive, this might not be the podcast for you. Hello, you are listening to Save Me From My Shelf, the literature comedy podcast. I am Abby, and Throckney Haypence sitting across from me is Daniel. I really thought I was going to be called Figgy Pudding. That's so disappointing. You're already... Yeah, yeah. Thro- you're just not Thro- engaging. Throckney Haypence. <laughs> Throckney Haypence. I say Haypence. I'm not calling you that. Or Haypeth. Some people say Haypeth. Ooh, I don't care for that. I don't understand your money. I refuse to learn. Yeah. Did I tell you that before? Yeah, I... yeah. Go, but go. it's a good story, tell me. Yeah, tell, but... tell the world. Tell the listeners, our dear listeners. Before I moved over here 10 years ago, I didn't realize that Britain had decimalized, so I'm there like my, with my information about 100 years out of date, looking up guineas and bob and shillings and yeah. threatening halfpence. And... It's amazing that it went on so long, isn't it? Isn't it 1971? I, I, it, that's mortifying, and then I came here and went, oh, everything. Yeah, it's just normal. Yeah. <laughs> just clearly I was real eager to start that Victorianist master's degree. Yeah. Well, today we are doing our Christmas special, uh, and I'm going to do something a little unusual here. I'm going to do a set the scene. Whoa. Yeah, normally Daniel does set the scene, but... The world turned upside down. Well, it's a set the scene for the special, not for the text okay. necessarily. So I'm going to paint a little picture for our listeners. Picture the scene. Aston University, the office of Dr. Abigail Boucher now decorated with holly and strings of lights. There's soft, inoffensive Christmas jazz playing. I'm wearing a lovely velvet frock, and Daniel showed up wearing the same thing, so I made him change it. I just feel like you guys would be able to tell, you know? The listeners, they'd, yeah, 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 they, yeah. they'd hear it it's in our voices. Loud material. I'm decorating a tree, and Daniel is lying underneath that tree, drunk on brandy and eating any sweetmeats and bonbons that happen to roll by his mouth. In short, we're in the 12 days of Christmas. And you know what else there have been 12 of? episodes of this podcast. Turns out, Santa's been. Just a little early, just for us. So Daniel, please scrape yourself up off the floor and investigate what might be underneath my desk. Okay. It's genuinely you that I do this. Yes. What we have here are 12 small presents, one to represent a little joke from each of our episodes. Oh, wow. So I'll, I'll post photos of these on Twitter on each present when this episode is released on the 22nd of December, so you can follow along and see Daniel open them in sort of real time. I just uh, wanted to thank you for being an excellent co-host um, when we started this podcast six months ago. To say you were skeptical would be, I think, an understatement. Um, you were um, yeah, terrified. Yeah, that's exactly what I have here. Is <laughs> you were absolutely terrified in my notes, but you've always been my ride or die bitch for the last you know however many years, and generally quite a good sport in all things. So. Thanks, you've made this podcast much better than it would have been 
without you. So. Um, wow. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Now I'm feeling all quite moved. Yeah. So am I. I thought we were going to be uh, just kind of facetious and stuff. But. Oh no, that's coming. So for those of you who don't want to hear a little memory lane trip for our first season, please skip ahead about six minutes. All right. Do you want to do you want to start at the beginning? Right. Very good place to start. Frankenstein. Yeah. Uh, episode one. It's a little miniatures of scotch. So you can uh, go do your whiskey tasting. Yes, that was a joke, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. In the because they go to the Hebrides. Two Othello. Where's the next one? Two Othello. This one is also an apology. I think I can tell what this one is. I think yeah, because of a joke ruined. A hanky. Oh, twas number three. What does that mean? That's, oh, yeah, that's yeah, your that's joke. God, wow, how did you get that? Did you make that? That's amazing. God. Very talented, it, aren't it, That took like an hour. It was not a big deal. Well, still. <laughs> Wuthering Heights. This one I struggled with. I listened to this episode several times. I wanted to get you an applesauce tureen, but those are tremendously yeah, expensive. Yeah, much. Yeah. This is kind of a reach. Is it a special gun? No. It's applesauce cookies. It's, oh, my it's my grandmother's recipe. It's the closest I could get. There was nothing else. Oh, wow. That's very, so uh, we can, yeah. yeah. I mean, the special gun would have been cool too, but I mean. <laughs> Episode four, Gawain. Well, do you want to pull the cracker? Yeah, I want to pull the crackers. Okay, right. Hold on, wait. For Gawain. <laughs> Sorry, oh, You I'll... win. For those who don't know, uh, listeners in America, what Christmas crackers are, they're these weird little, um... They look like sort of loo roll done up, or uh, sorry, toilet roll done up in. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they are, like, they are made of loo roll, aren't they? Yeah, in a like fancy wrapping, and inside you have a little paper crown and a joke and a toy. And you wear you wear this uh, shitty paper crown for the rest of the day, and it falls off your head. Because uh, because we talked about crackers in the episode, didn't we? Yes. Yes. Because it's a Christmas. It was Christmas special in the middle of summer, wasn't it? Pressing on with a uh, Gatsby. This is the best present. Okay. I was gonna say right now, if it's not made of the finest human molar, <laughs> I'm not interested. So what you want, Meyer Wolfsheim's molar inlaid cufflinks? <laughs> oh, Jesus! <laughs> is it? Where did you get that? It's not real tooth. Is <laughs> no, it? no, no. They're 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 plastic molds. I don't know if you even have a shirt with French cuffs. We'll have to get one. Now. <laughs> oh God! What is he a dentist? I was so pleased. Apparently, there's somebody who does it just for costume parties, just for people. There's a what, huge people who want to dress as my old Yes, time. there were tons of comments going, "This was perfect." Right, Pamela, um, a club bar. I love clubs. No, but Daniel, they don't make fruit clubs anymore. Do you have any idea how long I looked for fruit clubs? I even went online. They do not make them. Wow. Clearly, so I don't love them as much as <laughs> if I, I would have known that, wouldn't I? I'd have been like out there protesting. Wow, I love the mint club. Is nice too, though. Okay, love. well, I have. Having one of these. Like, I was. Yeah, don't. You're gonna be having one of these. Too. Okay, number seven. Got the small things. It's a mug. Listeners at home, I am being given a mug. I couldn't figure out what else to get you. Oh, yeah. And on the other side. Yes. Plum bag for life. Yeah, I am. It's a Christopher Plummer mug. Ooh. It's the most disturbing <laughs> mug I've ever seen. It's, it's him from Royal Hunt of the Sun. I wanted to I, see what it was. I can't look away. Uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh. Sorry. It's, really, yeah, it's, it's hypnotic, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, there's something amazing about that. Yeah. Oh. Number eight. The Crucible. A monocle, yeah. To make, your, to make yeah, your own drop, sound effect. I'll drop it in this. No, don't, don't, don't drop it. Wow, that's great. God. <laughs> yeah, because you wanted a sound effect whenever somebody was shocked of a monocle dropping in a, what, a cup of tea. Um, cocktail. 
Now you can make your own. Dra Dracula. This one cost me nothing. Oh great. It's a thought though, isn't it? It's a recipe for forcemeat emplatata, which is what he has for breakfast. And what is this a recipe for? Paprika handle. Ooh, this looks good. Colour purple. Mm -hmm. uh, gotta be a jazz flute, isn't it? Well, it's the right shape. Yep. Yeah. Oh wow, it's not a flute at all. It <laughs> is. It's a book. <laughs> a beaver's tooth. With some account of the beaver's works and ways of Indian legends about the beaver and of curious old world beliefs of magical medicinal powers of castorium and beaver's teeth. This is where we wrapped up the whole the beaver, beaver pope. I, I remember, wow. Maybe we'll do a bonus episode where we cover this book. We'll do a bonus episode where you read it. Pull in, pull in Andy Kaufman. Great. And then Oedipus. I didn't know if you had a... A postcard of Angra's painting of Oedipus and the Sphinx. The booby <laughs> painting. Yes, yes. Well, which Angra painting isn't like that? I don't know if you had a print of that. Really, no, I do not. Um, that's going to be going right up by my desk. I'm going to be... Uh, Weirded out by that forever. Thank you, I love a good postcard. And then I really struggled with Tess. I was going to get you a cheese making kit, but they were very expensive and apparently yeah. all turn out badly. But in fact it is some wildflower seeds with a, with a little note, an instructional note on the seeds. Plant while screaming, screaming mind. Amid the oozing fatness and warm ferments of the Froom Vale at a season when the rush of juices could almost be heard below the hiss of fertilization. It was impossible that the most fanciful love should not grow passionate. The ready bosoms existing there were impregnated by their surroundings. So you can have your own little lusty, depressed Schopenhauerian Yeah. Isn't nature sexy and we're all gonna die yeah, yeah. moment. It, I am so freaked out by that mug, where's it going? <laughs> okay. So uh, we did get one letter and they asked to remain anonymous. Hi, the letter starts in Ash's costumery. I am one of your students. I hope it's okay. I am anonymous, as I am shy. Yes, that's fine. I have been listening since Abby mentioned it. In class, presumably. Yeah, presumably the podcast as well. And it made me really happy because I always liked it when you guys showed up in each other's lectures to fight and make each other laugh. We do fight a lot, yes, I guess. Uh, well, Less so in the podcast. This has been yeah. terribly collegiate. Yeah, yeah. Or is it collegial? Mm. Oh, yeah. oh! do we uh, got a fight, uh, Well, It's a miracle. It's a Christmas miracle. The podcast is like I'm still being taught by both of you. Oh, that's touching, isn't it? Aww. And we think it's cute that you seem to be friends in real life and not just for lectures. That's not true. That's no, we're, we're what, barely acquaintances and quite, um, quite cold transactional ones at that, I would think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Could you read Romeo and Juliet, please? I remember Daniel had a funny joke but I can't remember what that was, lol. Yeah, I'm sure there must have been a funny joke that I told once. Uh, uh, I mean, there's a first time for it, anything. Apparently I mean, a last time since it's already happened. Yeah. Um, please keep doing the podcast. I love every episode. Now, there you go. That's of all the thousands of hate mail that we're getting, these are the ones that mean something, aren't they? Yeah, thank you. We will do our best. Yes. I'm glad you're enjoying it. I'm touched that you listen to anything I say in class, let alone something presumably in the first week. That's charming. Okay, so, Daniel, what is our text today? Behold. I have two children with me. <laughs> a boy and a girl. The girl has golden curls, huge squid-like eyes, and a solitary tear is rolling down her rosy cheeks. The boy 
He's a scruffy lad. A cheeky, he has a cheeky grin, irritating mannerisms, possibly a funny name. They're both completely flat. The girl is mawkishness. The boy, whimsy. <laughs> they are mans, and we cannot escape them, especially at Christmas. But you and I, we need to destroy these children. <laughs> Because doom is written on their foreheads, and we can only destroy them if we go to the source, Mr. Charles Dickens, and in particular, his 1843 novella, A Christmas Carol. Markishness and whimsy yeah. is absolutely, you hit the nail on <laughs> yeah, the head yeah. there. <laughs> it goes without saying, we are about to spoil this book for you, so if you... If you've never heard, if of, you've a Christmas never Carol, heard of A Christmas Carol before, and you somehow are listening this far into the podcast and still don't want to be spoiled, just turn it off and walk away. And don't come back. Trigger warnings. Ghosts? Just all things with ghosts. Consider this your blanket trigger. Poverty, death generally, and childhood death more specifically. And I need you all to know that I'm going to be very flippant about Tawny Tim. So if that's gonna be an issue for you, then maybe turn this off. Because I, I am not a fan of Tiny Tim. And I will not be quiet about it. Yeah. Do you want to do some background? Yeah. Dickens. I wrote a joke here. I wrote, I wrote that he was Victorian Britain's foremost doorstop producer. <laughs> you would build them up over monthly instalments. About a year and you could keep your door open. After 20 months it was complete. <laughs> That's a joke about serialisation. The novels that he wrote generally came out in monthly instalments. In Sometimes in newspapers, sometimes kind of independently. Right? It's like TV shows, yeah, really. Yeah, it's like yeah. TV shows. Yeah, yeah. Like before, before we marathoned things when they were all released in one go on Netflix or whatever. Yeah, the, so you, that's why the novels are so long and prone he to was change. He was, he, was, he was paid by the word as well. Yeah. Um, but that's why sometimes Victorian novels don't sit well with people because they're so long. Also, like, his first novel, The Pickwick Papers, it wasn't very popular, and then he introduced this Cockney character, Sam Weller, who was only going to be in one instalment, and he mm -hmm. was so popular that Dickens was like, great, that guy's going to be in the rest of the novel, so, like, there's, they're not maybe plot They're not cohesive, way, yeah, that necessarily. Yeah, associate with, like, maybe 20th and 21st century novels. Yeah, so, tumultuous childhood, his dad was in debt as prison, he had to work in a boot black factory as a child, which apparently wasn't very nice, as you might imagine, although he got out, unlike all the other kids working there. He later became a journalist under the pen name Boz, and then he started kind of getting into novels after that. The works are very sentimental, aren't they, but also satirical. We're, we're going to talk about his sentimentality. So Dickens was famous for, he was sort of considered a master of emotion, and he there, there are times that he genuinely, even today, really makes you feel a lot. Like, I've laughed out loud at Dickens' novels, which I never expected <laughs> I to do. I laugh all the time at yeah. <laughs> but but he also was famous for when he would do his sort of like speaking engagements and he would read chapters of like him weeping profusely and the crowd just sobbing their eyes out at him reading certain <laughs> bits. And uh, th there were bits where, especially at the, at the end of A Tale of Two Cities, that kind of blindsided me. I did not expect to get choked up at that because <laughs> I'm, I'm a stone cold bitch, as you well know. Yes. It really tugged at my heartstrings. But he has a tendency because he, he is so into feeling. He, atten uh, I think, occasionally overplays his hand. Mawkishness. And, and go, yeah, goes into melodrama and mawkishness. And sometimes, much like with Tiny Tim, I laugh a little bit because <clears> it's so ludicrous. You must have a heart of stone to read The Death of Little Nell without laughing. That's what Oscar Wilde said. So, <laughs> what, what book is Little Nell in? Is uh, that... Old Curiosity Shop. Yeah. That's such a great kind of bitchy remark. <laughs> that is how I feel about Tiny Tim. And I think, so I, I do have a bit of a note here. Daniel, bless him, do, do you want to talk about your reaction to a 
Christmas Carol. It is ridiculous, especially because of all the horrible things that have happened in the books that we've read so far, but A Christmas Carol and any adaptation of it, they all make me cry. And I'm not talking little, you know, tearing up, I'm talking like full bawling. It's very sweet, actually. I think it's tremendously sweet. You, you're so sarcastic. And then once a year, it's like your people in, you know, the 40s and 50s, you rationed, like, sugar and feelings. Yeah. And you only got one of them back. <laughs> yeah. um, and you only let out your feelings. Like, you have a very narrow but window once a year. Once a year yeah, and that it's is just, true. I do cry at a lot of Christmas things, actually. But, yeah, this one always gets me going. It's very manipulative. That's why I oh, don't yeah, like yeah. it. So, so Daniel and I have very different emotional reactions to this <laughs> and I was thinking this when we when we sort of did our like rough notes about what points we're going to cover in this my notes are so sarcastic th that they border on rude and yours are very like heartfelt and intellectual and all of this stuff <laughs> yeah. so you can um, be both <laughs> you can be both and I think I think we will hopefully balance each other out here but um I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to tone it down for your sake please do yeah <laughs> but if you're going to make me choose between you and sarcasm, you know which way this is going to go, so... So the story opens, actually, with a little note from Dickens, a little tacky note. And he writes, <laughs> this little preamble, I have endeavored in this ghostly little book to raise the ghost of an idea, which shall not put my readers out of humor with themselves, with each other, with the season, or with me. May it haunt their house pleasantly, and no one wish to lay it. Lay, lay what? Are, are, is he saying may no one wish to fuck my ghost story? Because I can't promise that, Chaz. <laughs> so the, the book itself opens really strong. It says, quote, Marley was dead to begin with. And they talk about him being dead as a doornail. They really, really lay into it. Marley is super duper dead. Are we all on board? Why a doornail? He is dead. Uh, doornails are the thing that... Surely um, a coffin nail is the deadest piece of ironmongery, is what I, I was going to say. But go on. Sorry, no, I thought you were looking for a genuine answer. I thought you were trying to actually talk to me rather than setting just yourself up for well, a joke. Just yeah, like yeah, repeating yeah, Dickens' yeah. joke. That's a great bit. Go on, sorry. Why do you think a doornail? Uh, well, I know why a doornail. A doornail was the, the big stud on a door... Um, the big square stud that you would wrap a door knocker against. And so the idea is, if you've been hit that many times on the head, you're probably dead. Right. So who is Marley, then? That's the question. Who is Marley? Only the best friend and business partner of a man named Ebenezer Scrooge. Quote, Scrooge and he were partners for I don't know how many years. Scrooge was his sole executor, his sole administrator, his sole assign, his sole residuary legatee, his sole friend, and his sole mourner. And I'm gonna throw a little queer reading in here, just for fun, because okay. it's Christmas, and also because they're clearly lovers. So Scrooge doesn't mourn very much. He just gets on with business for years, just as Marley would have wanted. They're both very cold clinical businessmen. And we all know from sort of popular culture, Scrooge's characterization, right? He's a tightwad, he's this miserable old bastard, and quote, solitary as an oyster. Um. Why are oysters always sold by the half dozen then, Daniel? They are not solitary. Isn't it because they're in their shell? <sighs> okay. But yeah. 
it's yeah. important to talk about the ins and outs <laughs> of metaphor, isn't it? I think, yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> in any case, Scrooge is completely shut down to the world around him, so shut down that he doesn't even feel heat or cold anymore. I just wonder, what kind of kooky backstory do these two solitary oysters have that they became friends in the first place? I assumed it was purely a business relationship, but... Yeah, but how did they even meet? I mean, did did Scrooge see Marley leaving a whole bunch of five-star reviews on, like, the Art of the Deals Goodreads page, and they no. got chatting on a forum <laughs> or something? Yeah, I think that's probably definitely it. He's so loathed around town that crowds just part to get away from him. And I'm going to throw out a slightly alternate reading for this. I think he's far more in tune with the Christmas spirit in this early bit than we're willing to allow him. He's just the other side. He is Krampus. And all these people parting, it's not because they hate him, it's because they all have dark secrets and they're just trying to get out of his way. Christmas needs its antithesis. London, there's fog, it's a pea super. But it's Christmas Eve and people are singing carols and the like. Scrooge and his clerk, meanwhile, are working in his freezing office. The clerk, who goes unnamed, uh, is sitting in an unappealing sounding tank. That's a little bit more of um, sea life imagery. We got a solitary as an oyster. We got somebody sitting in a, a like a fish tank. Oh, I was imagining it like a sort of T thirty four or something. But yeah, maybe you're right. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean they didn't exist in the eighteen forties, so yeah, maybe fish tank is more likely. Imagine that if uh, the clerk was given a T thirty four, then he would then he would write some wrongs. Okay, Scrooge's nephew arrives. He's also unnamed, and he may indeed be a himbo. He is absolutely unequivocally a himbo. Great. He wishes everyone a Merry Christmas in that kind of classic himbo way. I just wanted to talk a little bit about here. So we instantly have, we have Marley and Scrooge who are named, and then we have immediately following them two men who are unnamed, the clerk, who we're going to find out is Bob Cratchit. Spoiler alert. Oh, come on now. And then the nephew who we find out eventually is named Fred. But for this early bit, for most of the novel, both of them don't have names. And I know I, know, I normally give reading advice at the end, but I think this is important to flag up here. Always notice when people aren't named, who gives out names to people, who you know, whose perspective is this from. Because this is from Scrooge's perspective largely, mm. and these guys are unnamed, he's not viewing them as human. They're nameless, faceless, whatever. He's not connecting with them. Names are a way to sort of provide humanity and power and things like that. Well, it's also like that because Scrooge is the main figure, like because our focus is on Scrooge, you don't need to... Everyone else is viewed in relation to him, so... He, so Fred's not Fred, he's Scrooge's nephew. Bob's not Bob, he's Scrooge's clerk. Yes, you know, so, so there's just kind of relationality. Yeah. But, there, but there's also the power. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, there. yeah. You yeah. Can in terms of power as well, yeah. So, yeah, Scrooge is unimpressed by this Merry Christmas greeting and says, What right have you to be merry? What reason have you to be merry? You're poor enough. Come then, returned the nephew gaily. What right have you to be dismal? What reason have you to be morose? You're rich enough. Oh, right. Yeah. So Scrooge is like, pleasure? This isn't France. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So here's the big tension of the book established. Is there more to life than material gain? No. So the clerk and Scrooge's nephew do think that, you know, there's more to life than money. But Scrooge... Well, is... they're idiots. They're himbos. Yeah, We've exactly. already yeah, determined yeah. that. Scrooge, meanwhile, dismisses these sorts of ideas with um, his catchphrase. Which is... Oh, I know this. It's, um, eat Mi sh you non-producer. Bow humbug. Oh, yeah, 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 no, I, I, I knew that. Well, I was, I was translating it out of Victorian miser. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, the spirit thank you, thank is... You for doing that, yeah. yeah. Scrooge's nephew invites him to have Christmas dinner with him and his wife, and Scrooge is like, no, thank you. Yeah, he's running away from the Christmas spirit like he's the damn gingerbread man. If he were a true kind of parsimonious utilitarian type, he'd be like, 
Well, that's a meal that I don't have to pay for. <laughs> clearly, Scrooge doesn't think but that. I suppose, but he does have to pay for it by being forced to talk to people that he loathes, so it's a cost-benefit analysis right, here. Right, okay, yeah. Yeah. Shortly after that, some philanthropic gents turn up, and they try to get Scrooge to donate to poor relief. And Scrooge is like, well, I pay my taxes. If poor one, they can go to the workhouse or to prison if they need shelter and stuff. And if, you know, if they don't like that, they can die and decrease the surplus population. Um, so eventually the workday comes to an end. Scrooge's clerk says, oh, come on, Christmas day off. <laughs> and um, they have a little bit of a negotiation, but Scrooge kind of begrudgingly assents to his clerk's request. He's uh, like, you better come into work super early the, the morning after then yeah, to yeah, make yeah. up for it. I do sort of uh, appreciate Scrooge's hostility, because what's this bit? He says, like, what's Christmas time to you but a time for paying bills without money, a time for finding yourself a year older but not an hour richer, a time for balancing your books and having every item in them through a round dozen of months presented dead against you. That uh, There's a really horrible, nasty, selfish kind of ideology at work in mid-Victorian Britain, and I feel like Scrooge is right to suggest that there's something disingenuous about pretending that it's all all right for just a few days of the year. I appreciate that, but Daniel, don't you have a feast you should be spectering at? Bringing that energy <laughs> to our Christmas I just, special? No, but that, if, if Scrooge wasn't such a bastard, then, and like, if he wasn't involved in the immiseration of the people, which maybe we can talk about a bit more, then I would sympathise with him a lot more, because it does seem like, you know, it's a bit like Christmas is the opium of the people. You could imagine him saying that almost, couldn't you? Oh, oh, you're giving you're giving this arch-capitalist a sort of Marxist leaning. That's generous of you. Yeah, well, I think it's, he's the honest capitalist, doesn't he? He's, an, he's honest about it, whereas other capitalists are disingenuous. That's interesting, actually. Mm. Okay. So you're saying Scrooge doesn't actually need fixing. I'd say that Scrooge is, like, the truest efflorescence of a f***ed up society that needs fixing. <laughs> Okay, fair enough. Yeah, so what is it that Scrooge does? They don't really tell us, do they? I, I don't know. I was kind of wondering, I was thinking how great this would be if this had been a sort of um, Big Lebowski situation where he he sells himself off as this great businessman, but actually somebody else is running the show and they've just sat him behind a desk with the, <laughs> whatever the Victorian equivalent of, like, blocks is to play with all day long. Yeah. So Scrooge goes home to his chambers that night. Chambers, quote, which had once belonged to his deceased partner. Y'all... What sensitive crimes have these chambers seen? <laughs> so as he goes up to the front door, he notices that the door knocker transforms into Marley's face. So we get a little bit of a callback to that dead as a doornail thing at the beginning, right? But that face, quote, had a dismal light about it like a bad lobster in a dark cellar. Yeah, what is that? Okay, so I did look this up. My lobster's gone bad. It's glowing. Yeah, yes. Because apparently it's not lobsters that glow necessarily, but when lobsters go off and die, they grow a particular type of bacteria that does glow in the dark. So if you would keep, if you would store lobsters to keep them cool in a cellar, but they go off where it's dark, that's amazing. They'll, they'll glow. I thought it might be something like that. But that's amazing. Yeah, thank you for looking that up. Wow, that's I, such a Victorian thing. More like, I'm <laughs> I just gone down and shut up. All oh, your bleeding lobsters glowing. You're gonna have to throw out all the stock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's being haunted. I think this guy has encephalitis. Or <laughs> ergotism. Is... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What is it though? Here we, again, businessmen and seafood. We have the tank, we have the solitary oyster. What is happening? Yeah, Marley's so, a something lobster. Something fishy is afoot, methinks. Uh, <laughs> how, how do you feel? How do you feel about yourself right now? Do you feel good? Yeah. You feel proud of yourself? No, I do, yeah. So, 
Scrooge shrugs this off, this weird door knocker hallucination, and he goes on to his miserable night where he eats a saucepan of gruel as a midnight snack and won't even light his own lamps. He gets all ready for bed in his nightcap and dressing gown. I would bet a handful of brass farthings and your finest goose that you wear a nightcap to sleep. <laughs> so all of a sudden, as he's, as he's just sort of hunkering down to go to bed, a disused bell starts to ring in his room. He's startled, but even more so to start hearing the slow dragging of chains coming up from the cellar. And all of a sudden into his room enters Marley, or Marley's ghost, I should say, yeah. dressed in his, quote, pigtail, waistcoat, tights, and boots, the tassel on the ladder bristling. Don we now our gay apparel, am I right? <laughs> uh, very good. But Marley, in addition to really serving up a look here, he's also covered in chains. <laughs> Hanging from these chains are cash boxes. You think like BDSM type thing? <laughs> yeah. We're get, yeah, this is kink at pride, is what yeah. we're talking about yeah. here. No, but hanging from the chains are a bunch of cash boxes, keys, locks, and ledgers, and he's just completely weighted down, and you know, it's, it's very oppressive. It's, so Scrooge thinks he must be dreaming, and he thinks it's a dream brought on by indigestion, saying... The senses can fool you, can't they? You may be an undigested bit of beef, a blot of mustard, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of an underdone potato. There's more of gravy than the grave about you, whatever you are. So. Boo! Take your cheap cruise ship comedy elsewhere. More of gravy than great. Come on. So Scrooge is like, no, this is all a hallucination. That is not Marley. And not to get all panto about this, but oh, yes, it is. Yes, yeah, very good. Do you know, uh, you know about them then? Pantos. Oh, I, I know I know well about pantos because I've lived here for 10 years. Amer Americans. Pantos are these sort of really... Crap plays. Camp plays that come out only at Christmas and they do like Mother Goose and Aladdin and Cinderella. They do like folk tales and things, but it's... It, it's the heterosexual response to RuPaul's Drag Race. Yes, mm. yes. Like it's a ritualized sort of music hall. Yeah. It's, a, it's a music hall carryover in Britain. Yeah. It's, you know... It's, oh, no, it isn't. Yeah, it's, Very funny. Yeah. The audience shouts out a lot. So Marley rattles his chains and he says that they're the chains he forged in life. That he spent his whole life earning money and doing business stuff instead of doing anything more worthwhile. What, what would your chains forged in life be? I, I don't know. It's probably not money. <laughs> <laughs> Hours wasted on Wikipedia articles maybe? Oh, okay, yeah, you're weighted down with the, the printouts of all the Wikipedia yeah, pages. Yeah, Okay. What about you? I think you're the chains I've forged. <laughs> I think I'm going to carry you around the afterlife wearing you like a mink stole. Um, yeah. I mean, okay, that's something to look forward to. Um. <laughs> so, Marley says to Scrooge, I am here tonight to warn you that you have yet a chance and a hope of escaping my fate. So, he says... Scrooge, you're going to be haunted by three spirits, which sounds like every hangover I have ever had. But he says, Marley says that the first ghost will appear at one o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, are ghosts making appointments to terrify people? That's how ghosts work, isn't it? They love all stuff like that, schedules. What is this booking system like? Mr. G, I booked you in for a 9.30 at Pimlico to bedevil some people, and you have a lunch with your mother after that. I mean... <laughs> ghosts have a lot on their plate, clearly. I don't know. Especially the middle ghost. I, I'm not plate. entirely really sure why they have a secretary from Brooklyn. 
Motley says these ghosts are gonna appear, you know, each one over three nights, each one at one in the morning, and then Marley salutes Scrooge and he floats out the window, love a defenestrating ghost, and he joins a bunch of other ghosts in the sky, and they're all sort of wearing whatever their personal versions of Marley's chains are, you know, and they're just sort of floating around, and, and Scrooge, I guess, can see them now. Can Wailing you, and stuff, aren't Yeah, they? but can you imagine all of these ghosts sort of, like, floating up to people's windows and peeking in? It's perverts. I cannot wait until I am a ghost. Right. Scrooge awakens in pitch darkness. Apparently he's been asleep for the whole day. Well, yeah, because his logic is, well, I know I went to bed at two o'clock in the morning and now it's one o'clock in the morning, right? Yeah, and yeah. he's he's basically like, what fresh hell is this? I'm nothing if not a stern empiricist. It's twisting my melon, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as you might say. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so it's really dark. One o'clock comes around. The bed curtains are suddenly drawn aside. He's got one of those sort of like cupboard beds. Please, just please don't be Alec Durberville is all I was saying in this. <laughs> just as a bird. Uh, pleasure in himself. Um, <laughs> no. He finds he's in the presence of a strange figure. Like a child, yet not so like a child as an old man. <laughs> oh, I really, I really hate this Benjamin Button looking son of a bitch. I, it, I, he's very well described in this, but he's very creepy and he That's just... That's a good bit. I think it's I know, spooky. like, it's, yeah. it's effective. I, when I say I hate it, I mean Dickens is doing exactly what he means to be doing. Yeah, this is the creepiest of the ghosts. I yes. I just say, going forward. It has long white hair, a perfectly smooth face. Ew. Um, long, muscular arms and legs. Absolutely That's not. what we all like. And uh, wears a white tunic. Okay. Uh, so it's got a weird angelic creature. It emits a strange flickering light, and it's appearance kind of fluctuates in that light. Now a thing with one arm, now with one leg, now with 20 legs, no. now a pair of legs without a head, no. now a head without a body, no. of which dissolving parts now outlined would be visible in the dense gloom wherein they melted away. Uh, so there's all uh, mad stuff going on. I mean, either somebody is messing with the space-time continuum or somebody slipped Scrooge an edible. Just throwing that out there. Edible? Drugs narrative. Oh, honey, do you not know what an edible is? Go on. Uh, it's like a gummy bear, but marijuana. Um, light emits from its head, and it carries a big hat-sized candle snuffer. It's sort of like a sort of weird kind of angel, candle. old man, child, muscular candle. <laughs> uh, it's the ghost, ghost of Christmas past. Scrooge is like, long past? No, your past, the ghost says. Wait, 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 so this, this thing is a ghost? Presumably, because from where I'm sitting, this is a rejected dolly drawing. That's what this is. Um, so he's like, no, you're past. The ghost's like, I'm here for your welfare, so you better take heed, boyo. You better take heed. <laughs> the ghost's like, follow me out the window. And Scrooge is like, I'm mortal and liable to fall. The ghost is like, stick with me, Sonny, and you'll be all right. And yeah, that's he's, a good bit. He's like, I got you, boo. And yeah. boo works on two levels here. Do you get it, Daniel? Because he's a he's a ghost. Oh yeah, it's a, yeah, 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 yeah. Look, uh, Michelangelo saw the David from a block of marble. I read this book, and that's the joke that came yeah. to me. Yeah, the ghost. There's some kind of implication that the snuffer cap has some kind of power over the ghost. I don't like it. Like it is a sort of big candle or something. I don't really get that. Also, like it's sort of like I was thinking about the you know the old Sphinx's riddle and you know one leg in the morning and two legs at night and seven legs in the afternoon mm -hmm. and you know all that stuff. The ghost's like that, isn't it? Like all the, like 
different stages of human life, but in a kind of mad psychedelic way. I kind of thought like there's a bit of that going on. Oh, hark at you, I like that. Yeah. Look at you building on previous episodes. episodes. Yeah. Yeah, also in different adaptations, they never really get this right, do they? This kind of weird, like, ageless, flickering hermaphrodite. Uh, no, uh, yeah, I've, I've seen a few different adaptations of A Christmas Carol, and they, it's, this is one of those things that I think can't really be yeah, adapted. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. Because it's, the whole point is that Scrooge cannot even conceptualize what he's seeing, and then if you show it through a visual medium... You need we, some kind of consistency. Well, yeah. Or, or some, you have to be able to convey it in some sort of way. Yeah. And the whole point is that this thing cannot actually be captured by vision. Yeah, that's really. great. That's why, that's why that's such a great bit. Yeah. Yeah. So the ghost takes Scrooge's hand and they walk through the wall and appear suddenly on an old country road. And Scrooge recognizes this road as one from his neighborhood as a boy. So the ghost says that no one can see them and they've gone back in time and Scrooge had really better brace himself to confront all of his demons and feel all, his, all of his feelings. So this ghost is just the Karamo Brown of time travel. Don't get that. That's just a little joke between you and me, listener. Daniel doesn't get it this is just for us great excuse me Dan. i don't even want to know what it is this is this is a private conversation do you do Sorry. you mind oh. so they they stumble across scrooge as a boy all lonely at school reading alibaba and the 40 thieves and he's also reading robinson crusoe and and scrooge as an old man gets sort of sentimental about these things but I think it's always really important, here's another little bit of advice threaded through this, whenever characters in books read other famous books, what are the major themes of that? What, what are those stories about? These are carefully selected, right? So Alibaba, we have a man who gets rich, profiting off of other people, and Robinson Crusoe, which is about a chronically unsatisfied man obsessed with money, who doesn't learn his lesson, and He's therefore well. ends up stranded and alone for decades. The actual characters in the books genuinely appear, don't they? Like Scrooge's imagination sort of is running around the dormitory that he's in. So the ghosts within ghosts within ghosts. Oh, I like I mm. like that. That's really good. Mm. That's really, really good. Scrooge spent like every Christmas at school alone. Like, his, like his, all the other kids would get taken mm. home for Christmas and he would just stay. It was like a boarding school, right? So he like spent all these miserable Christmases reading Robinson Crusoe. Uh, and his little sister, Fan, shows up to bring Scrooge home, and she says their father's had a change of heart, he wants Scrooge home with them this Christmas, they're all going to have a wonderful holiday, and they do, they end up having this really nice Christmas. What's going on there, though? So Scrooge has been at school for years, his dad never brought him home for Christmas, then his sister turns up and is like, Dad's kinder than he used to be. I don't know what's going we don't, on there. Like, we, that's, they, that's something really weird going on there. Yeah, it's it? never explained. Yeah. It's never explained what happens, but his dad has had some sort of change of heart. His dad's been visited by three ghosts, well, maybe. maybe, yeah. It's, it's in the blood. So Scrooge, you know, as an adult then, there with the ghost, reminisces about this beloved younger sister and about this, like, last great Christmas that he had. And the sister died years ago after having had this nephew, Fred, and Fred's all that's kind of left of the sister, and it's, it's very touching-ish. <laughs> Next, we are transported via the magic of ghosty magic <laughs> to the site of Scrooge's first job, the warehouse of Old Fezziwig, who's a kind of a, an eccentric old guy who wears a Welsh wig, and I looked this up, and it's like a kind of wool cap, which... Uh, I was thinking, is that like Scouse Laptop? Are you familiar with that term, Scouse Laptop? I have never heard that it's term. A, it's really a bit, a, bit, a bit of a nasty term, really, but for like a pizza box. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's like a, will, a woolen cap is like a Welsh wig. Like, Do uh, we want to explain to our American listeners what a Scouse is? Because uh, we would a Scouser not... is somebody from Liverpool. So Scrooge and the ghost watch his 
past self and his former colleagues enjoy a bit of a Christmas party at Fezziwig's expense. So everyone's all kind of getting drunk and dancing around and you couldn't photocopy your ass back then, could you? They've got a clerk there scrivening pictures of people's asses. <laughs> and that guy, he's taken like a good hour on people's asses. It's not a pleasant gig for him. That wouldn't be pleasant for you as well. Those, those buildings are not warmly insulated. Yeah, a lot of people were getting like serious ass frostbite just from having a scrivener draw their ass. But that's what Christmas parties are about. We have a Christmas party at the end of the week. Please don't. I beg of you. Offer to scriven people's... <laughs> Uh, How old is Scrooge at this point? He's what, like 18 He maybe? says this is apprenticeship, so I feel like probably a like, teenager or 18 or yeah. Yeah, late teens. Fezziwig has got a violinist in and, you know, that guy's playing, everyone's dancing. There's games, there's dances, there's a, there's a hearty spread. Oh, yeah. this is your... Yeah, right, this, yeah, this right this up your alley. There was cake, there was negus, which is a kind of mulled wine thing. There was a great piece of cold roast. And there was a great piece of cold boiled. <laughs> and there were mince pies and plenty of beer. Mm, I love the sound of cold boiled. Mmm, cold boiled what? I don't even care. Yeah, no, yeah. Mm, I just, and I've actually got a sample of cold boiled here. Oh. So let me just carve it off. Oh, please do. Plate it up. There you go. There's a few huge slices of cold boiled. There you go. Oh my god, it's, yeah, it's so in. cold. Yeah, yeah, boiled. It's so boiled yeah. though. Oh. So the whole farm has a big dance, and Fezziwig, he's seriously cutting up the dance floor. The old guy, he's still got the moves. What do you reckon his moves look like? Um, Would you give me a I'm doing them right now, yeah. I'm do yeah. Yes, do it. Get it. Yeah, Go. Yeah, good Shake stuff. your moneymaker. Thank you. Scrooge is pretty moved, and he's like, oh, that's, that's fun. And what, what, what larks, what party games and delights? And the ghost is like, well, it doesn't take much to put on an office do. You know, you really could have, uh, you know... You know, made this kind of effort yourself, and Scrooge suddenly rues having been arsy with his clerk. So he's kind of, he's already coming round to the Christmas stuff. It, it doesn't take much, does it, for him to come round to it? Yeah, only a kind of mad hallucination. <laughs> so now the ghost and Scrooge are transported to Scrooge's adulthood. He sees his former fiancée, Belle, breaking it off with him because she says that a golden idol has replaced her in his affections. And that idol is Marley. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. It's, it's money. Yeah. Money is yeah. his new girlfriend. The pink pound. He says he wanted to get rich for their benefit, but she's like, no, nah, I don't. I think you've uh, taken it too far, Sonny. He's the only guy who keeps a copy of The Economist under his mattress. Yeah, very good. So, you know, when they were affianced initially, they were young and poor, but now he's become another man. That's what Belle says. But what is this bimbo doing? Oh, mama, my... My poor fiancé has gotten terribly rich. I can't stand him. But he wants to be more rich. That's the problem, isn't it? I think Belle, uh, Belle's a sympathetic character. No, it? I think she's an idiot. Oh, okay. You would, you would stick with Scrooge? Yeah, and murder his ass. You don't like him? Just kill him. All right. Or, you know, just make him pay for your establishment elsewhere as he gets richer and richer. Right. Marriage laws. Gayer and gayer as well. Yeah. He was I the only gay president, like, semi-openly gay president. Lincoln? James Buchanan. Was he? Yeah. Anyway. Also Lincoln. But he wasn't open to gay, right? Right, anyway, James Buchanan had a live-in chum. Oh, cute. Just before he became president. And then the guy died. So that's sad. So, anyway. Scrooge is, like, upset with the ghost. He's like, why are you torturing me with these visions? The ghost pays the remonstrations no mind. Then he shows... This is really nasty, isn't it? Then he shows Scrooge Belle's life after she left him. She's got loads of mad kids. 
they're all jumping around and kind of go, ho ho! It's all very charming. The nice husband comes in, laden with Christmas toys and presents. This ghost is so emotionally manipulative, though. This is the this is the emotional equivalent of tilting a pinball machine. Yeah. This what? is just a you know just yeah, really yeah yeah really go for it going yeah, for yeah. it yeah dig the knife in, and the new husband's like oh I just saw your old friend Mr Scrooge at work in his office on Christmas Day no less quite alone in the world. Scrooge is like, I can't stand this any longer. He grabs the ghost's cap, remember the ghost has this weird candle snuffer, and kind of plonks it on the ghost's head and s tries to snuff it out. And we have this kind of really great bit where the, um, the, kind of, the spirit completely drops beneath it and the snuffer's on the floor. But though Scrooge pressed it down with all his force, he could not hide the light which streamed out from under it in an unbroken flood upon the ground. Uh, which is a good bit I thought, kind of quite spooky. And then Scrooge just sort of conks out in bed. So, is Scrooge attempting to murder a ghost at this point? Is that, is that what's happening? Is this like dividing by zero? So, Scrooge goes to bed, and then when the time comes for the next ghost, this ghost doesn't show. He's being ghosted by a ghost, which I feel is like a new personal low here. It's one o'clock again as well, right? It, yes. So Scrooge gets out of bed to go give them the what for, like, why are you standing me up? It's more than, it's beyond one o'clock. But then he hears a voice coming from the other room, sort of calling his name as he, as he puts his hand on the doorknob. And I, I get really cringy thinking about this ghost waiting in the other room, perfectly poised, hoping <laughs> Scrooge is going to walk in at any no, minute. Wait. Scrooge walks into his study or whatever it is, and it looks like a Hallmark store threw up in there, so it's covered in holly and mistletoe and glitter, and there is a meat throne mm. <laughs> in there made of, quote, turkeys, geese, game, poultry, brawn, great joints of meat, sucking pigs, long wreaths of sausages, mince pies, plum puddings, barrels of oysters, red-hot chestnuts, cherry-cheeked apples, juicy oranges, luscious pears, immense twelfth cakes, and seething bowls of punch that made the chamber dim with their delici delicious steam. And, and there's a man lying on top of this meat throne like it's a couch, so... <laughs> Th this haunting brought to you by meat. Yeah. Meat. Yeah, there's, there's other things, oranges. For for all Both your cakes. furniture needs, <laughs> meat. So yeah, sitting upon the meat throne is a, quote, jolly giant. Do you think, Daniel, that this is the same giant from Gawain and the Green Knight? Is this is this a crossover? He's mellowed in recent years. Yeah, he's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe. I... I think this probably is a crossover, actually. I know you were just taking the piss, but I think there is some kind of continuity. I, I think yeah. No, I think there's a folkloric yeah. continuity, absolutely. But th this giant is, quote, glorious to see, who bore a glowing torch in a shape not unlike Plenty's horn. Hello, friend. We we got a queer reading here, because I say so. Cool, yeah. Or just, just a general yeah. penis reading. Everything's in the cornucopia, even queer readings, you know. Especially for those so inclined. queer readings. Yeah. And the ghost introduces himself as the ghost of Christmas present. And this dude is dressed like a 70s porn star or drug kingpin. Yes. He's in a big green bathrobe trimmed with fur with his chest exposed. <laughs> and all he's missing is a thick gold chain amidst a lot of chest hair. And then he... He does have a lot of chest hair though, right? But then he would just be cocaine screaming into a phone at a pool party. <laughs> that, that is... The, it is exactly that. It is yeah. exactly... Yeah. Do you know that comedian Russell Kane? I remember him, uh, mm. well, 
I remember him doing a routine about his dad at Christmas and about his dad like just in a dressing gown and it was just like the giving of the presents but he'd be like he like dad leans over and gives a present a uh, glimpse of scrotum. <laughs> I can imagine, I just keep thinking the guys the guys is like, let me show you Christmas glimpse of scrotum. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have the full ghost description please. He was clothed in one simple green robe, or mantle, bordered with white fur. This garment hung so loosely on his figure that its capacious breast was bare, as if disdaining to be warded or concealed by any artifice. Its feet, observable beneath the ample folds of the garment, were also bare! Glimpse of scrotum. And, <laughs> and on its head it wore no other covering than a holly wreath, set here and there with shining icicles. Its dark brown curls were long and free, free as its genial face, its sparkling eye, its open hand, its cheery voice, its unconstrained demeanour, its joyful air. Girdled round its middle was an antique scabbard, but no sword was in it, and the ancient sheath was eaten up with rust. Peaceful man, that's the vibe, right? Mm -hmm. Again, peaceful man, it's growing for some men. Uh, okay. <laughs> Scrooge and the ghost, they have a bit of a chat, don't they? So Scrooge is coming round to his reformation already. Scrooge is like, conduct me where you will. I went forth last night on compulsion, and I learned a lesson which is working now. Tonight, if you have aught to teach me, let me profit by it. And the ghost is like, sure, I'll, I'll help you, I'll teach you. Baby, touch my robe. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> just touch my robe! It's yeah. like that, isn't it? Calm down, Debbie does Dallas. <laughs> uh, but so this robe has the magical ability to make meat thrones disappear, which is a great tragedy to me. Hmm. Uh, but also to transport people to Skid Row, which is where he and Scrooge go next. Scrooge and the ghost are in the city streets of old London town uh, on Christmas morning. It's grim out, but everyone's in a really good mood because, you know, Londoners are always cheerful and uh, friendly and helpful and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, they're all greeting each other and exchanging facetious snowballs. Americans, this is a joke because people in London are supposedly very cold and unfriendly. There's all nice stuff in the shops. Really good onions. Dickens makes a special effort to describe the okay. really good onions. Oh, uh, yes, but why did you notice that? is my question. Do you eat onions like they're a hand I'm just fruit? having a bite of it right now, but I've got one of the onions right here. Yeah, mmm, lovely. <laughs> and there's Norfolk Biffins, which is apparently a type of apple. And my least favourite Wes Anderson character. <laughs> Norfolk Biffins. <laughs> Very good. People are all going to church. They're taking their dinners to be cooked by bakers. Apparently that was something they bit then. Oh, that's cool. The ghost sprinkles incense from his torch onto their food. And whenever it looks like a row's gonna start between people who are like in the queue or whatever, they're like, yeah, get out of fucking way, it's my fucking turkey next. The ghost drips a kind of strange liquid on them and they're all like patting each other's backs and being mellow. So there's a kind of literalized Christmas spirit going along. You need magic stuff to make people like each other, especially in London, because otherwise they are gonna just be like tearing each other's throats out. Is this a, a somewhat of a drug reading as well? Because everyone sure. just like, he like sprinkles some magic liquid on them and everyone just like really chills yeah. out. It's just a uh, give the gift of heroin this year. <laughs> yeah, Only at JC Penny. The ghost next takes him, Scrooge to Bob Cratchit's shitty. Who, sorry? Uh, the unnamed clerk. Oh, he's called Bob Cratchit, is he? Uh, so yeah. uh, thank you for. Uh... That's the, this, he's finally called Bob Cratchit, I think, at this point. Yes, okay. And Bob Cratchit's wife is dressed with what I would call confident ugliness. Oh. And they've got a bunch of kids, including a kid named Belinda, which I love. And they're all gobbling potatoes, which, I mean, who among us? <laughs> so there's also a kid there named Tiny Tim, 
who has this little tiny baby crutch and quote has his limbs supported by an iron frame could we make tiny tim any more pathetic because he's basically at this point he's a sentient death rattle wearing a newsboy cap they come home from church don't they and tim says it's something like it was good for people to see me to remember jesus or something mad like that i am just locking eyes with dickens and making the jerk off motion yeah. what exactly is wrong with tiny tim is it rickets or diphtheria or another Oregon Trail disease. I kind of thought that he was sort of malnourished and also just like generally kind of deformed. Yeah, uh, I mean, some disability. He's got problems anyway. But he's, he's basically, Dickens is using this we disabled boy as this sort of um, tool of melodrama. His narrative crutch. I, <laughs> very good. I And I am, uh, I'm not here for it. So Tiny Tim is just sickeningly good. I hate He's a nice kid. No, he's not. He is what adults think a nice kid is. He is sickeningly precocious in a way that no child has ever hey, been. Victorian adult wants kids to speak unless spoken to. Listen, I, if I had the opportunity, I would strangle Tiny Tim with my bare hands. Great. <laughs> <Right. laughs> so, literally nothing to say to that. <laughs> so, uh, I told you I was going to have strong yeah. reactions. Yeah. So they sit down to dinner. Their meat selection is a bit lackluster. It's no good for sitting on. I'd laugh if their dinner was just a big rat with like those little chef's hats on its legs Ugh, that they were all collectively pretending was a turkey. It does get a little food porny up in here because, you know, I, I don't know, Dickens had a weird thing about food. And actually, if you think about his entire back catalog, Dickens is the least sexy author I've ever read. There, there is no sense of sex in any of his books. Yeah. Much like Daniel, dear listeners, Dickens sublimates all of his desires by talking about fried eggs and shit. <laughs> so they, Not after my own heart. they eat a bunch of like this giant bowling ball of a pudding. I don't. We don't really have pudding like that in the states, but what? So I don't super know what this is, but okay. And you don't know about Christmas pudding. I know. I kind of. I know of love it. Christmas pudding. Uh, wh what? <laughs> A show you love food? <laughs> I, had a friend, I had a friend of mine the other day and he said he'd already eaten two <laughs> this, this, this season. I've never had a Christmas pudding. I have no idea what you, that even fully you're is. You're seriously missing out. Is it like made of suet or something? Suet and like, yeah, nuts and fruit. And okay. Yeah. I'm uh, okay. It's, okay. It's really good. They Bob also makes his massive gin drink, doesn't he? The moment he gets in, he's like, Tim has been mawkishing me all day. <laughs> pours like a whole bottle of gin into a Man after my own yeah. heart. Yeah, and, and so they eat their, their pudding and drink, drink their gin, and Tiny Tim says, God bless us, everyone. And I am really ready for Tiny Tim to sleep in heavenly peace, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Scrooge is there in the corner, invisible, and he's touched by their sad-ass dinner, and he asks the ghost if Tiny Tim will live or not. And the ghost says... He sees a vacant seat at their table in the future and a tiny crutch without an owner if the Ooh. future doesn't change. This is so emotionally manipulative. This is, God, this is like... That is the point of the book. No, <laughs> Not the whole point of Daniel, the Enterprise. can we take a Union 5? My Christ. So, Scrooge is really saddened by the idea of Tiny Tim dying and then the ghost throws some shade at him, repeating what, what Scrooge said earlier in the story about poor people. The ghost says, quote, 
if he be likely to die, he had better do it and decrease the surplus population. Whoa. Bitchy. Yeah. I love <laughs> this the ghost. He's the of the three ghosts, isn't he? Yeah. So the ghost basically calls Scrooge an eco-fascist, which is kind of dope. And Scrooge has a really strong reaction to this, uh, unsurprisingly. Are these ghosts just playing emotional Jenga? I think so. Scrooge yeah. is trying to yeah. see how what, far they what, can push him before he yeah. collapses. So as Scrooge is mewling in the corner, Bob Cratchit then raises oh, no. a twist the knife. A toast to his employer, Mr. Scrooge. Just yeah, pour some lemon juice in that wound. Yeah, in that gin. I mean wound. Yeah. <laughs> and Mrs. Cratchit says, Screw Mr. Scrooge. Screw him right in the ear. And Bob's like, darling, we mustn't cuss people out on Christmas Day. Because this dude does not party. This is why I don't like the Cratchits, except Mrs. Cratchit seems awesome. Bob Cratchit is a sad sack. Simpering drip. Exactly. Like all Victorian clubs. My family does nothing but cuss out people who are absent on that day from our Christmas. Christmas that is, is the all about. Exactly. Yeah. Daniel, you get it. You're in possession of your faculties. <laughs> Thank you. But anyway, just the fact that Bob Cratchit even mentions Mr. Scrooge's name, it just ruins all the party vibes and the children can't even enjoy their gin. It shows how low the bar is, right? That they all have a big gin, even the kids, and have to sing a song about a child lost in the snow. That cheers them up after talking about Scrooge. That's how low Scrooge set. I just love the idea of an eight-year-old with a little tiny martini. Yeah. No wonder Tiny Tim's got problems. It's precious. <laughs> Can we all just talk about how cruel the whole thing is to Scrooge? This is a little note I wrote. I just feel like that. We're all, it's hard to be good in a modern world, right? Isn't it? The problem is, is expecting Scrooge to do stuff on an individual level that needs big structural change. But whatever, you know, <laughs> Dickens is not a communist, is he? If you want to, you know, the 1840s has other stuff for the people who are interested in that. Uh, moving on. So. I'm not even commenting on that. I'm just sitting back in my chair and just letting you tucker yourself out. Yeah, thank you. So the ghost takes Scrooge on a bit of a world tour, a bit of a whistle-stop tour. He's seeing everything. Miners. Sailors out at sea. They're all singing and sharing a special moment together. Glimpse of scrotum. Um, <laughs> Weird pub crawl, but okay. Yeah. Then, then they go to the home of Scrooge's nephew. It turns out he's called Fred. There's a bit of a Christmas party going on, and they're all, as we've already discussed, doing what you're meant to do on Christmas Day. They're all bitching about Scrooge. All except Fred. Who, I, I pity. I pity my uncle. Next, they all sing and play party games. Should we have a little party game right now? Charades. Yes. Yeah, good. Okay. Perfect, perfect for podcasting. All right, go. Okay. Uh, there's a book. Uh, eight words. Uh, first word. Uh, crawdad. Uh, fruit bat. Uh, suet. Um, groundwork. Great, okay. Um, <laughs> next word. Uh, third word. The. Uh, fourth word. Fruit bat? Fruit bat. <laughs> Ground, groundwork bank the fruit bat. No? Whole thing. Whole thing. Groundwork for the philosophy of morals. Uh, wow, that's really, uh... Wow, I can't... Yeah. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Just, you should always do the whole thing, I think. You're good at this. Thank you. And this was just a charade of charades. <laughs> okay. Finally, they played 20 questions. Fred describes what is some kind of disagreeable, savage, growling and grunting animal. And we all know who it is, it's Scrooge. Ah, uh, in some adaptations, that this is quite a painful bit, isn't it? And Scrooge is, like, pretty mortified to see that people are bitching about him. But in this, he's just like, he's like, ha, that's hilarious. So uh, that kind of gets, I don't know, there's some bits in this that are very emotionally manipulative, and this bit just kind of completely misses that mark. So the ghost of Christmas present says, I've shown you everything I can, I gotta bounce, 
I only live for a day, like a pimped out mayfly. And as he's about to go, Scrooge says, Hey, sorry, weird question. Do you have something unnerving under your robe? <laughs> Took the scrotum. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry, I'm ripping off this other comedian. Other comedian. This comedian. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, did you change career until I wasn't looking? And so, okay, so this isn't going quite where you or Daniel seem to think it is. It's actually so much worse than that. So, quote, from the foldings of its robe, it brought two children. Sir, why are urchins living under your bathrobe? And it's all an allegory. It's, it's one that makes me deeply uncomfortable. Okay. And it's just lending its weight to that weird 70s coked out porn star <laughs> screaming at people thing so the spirit says that these children they don't look well do they yellow meager ragged scowling wolfish but prostrate too yeah and these are quote mankind's children named ignorance and want and he says humanity has abandoned them and they sort of stick with the ghost for help and we need to watch out for them especially the boy ignorance because quote their perpetuation spells doom. And then the ghost screams smoke bomb and disappears. The last of the spirits approaches. It's a kind of, it's a kind of classic ghost, isn't it? A hooded phantom, silent, robed in black. So yeah, Dickens has run out of ideas, I think, is the message here. I mean, who among us though has not phoned it in here yeah. at Christmas? Who among us has struggled to think of a third ghost? So it's spooky in any case. It thrilled Scrooge with a vague, uncertain horror to know that behind the dusky shroud there were ghostly eyes intently fixed upon him, while he, though he stretched his own to the utmost, could see nothing but a spectral hand and one great heap of black. So that's quite spooky, isn't it, I think? Yeah, the ghost doesn't talk, he just points. Yeah. It's terrifying. Yeah. Scrooge infers that the ghost is of the future. It's the ghost of Christmas yet to come. And they start the final leg of his sort of spiritual journey. They're in the city of London, outside the Stock Exchange, which is where Scrooge works. And they overhear some kind of grotesque business types, is there any other kind, talking callously about someone's death. It's likely to be a very cheap funeral, they joke. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Scrooge next recognises a, a few of his old peers, acquaintances, strictly in a business point of view. So, yeah, he never made proper friends with them just from a business vantage. And they're kind of also being rude about this dead guy. Did you do a Michael Caine just then? Yeah. So, so he doesn't get the hint. A bit like Oedipus, he, he doesn't really get what's going on here. I was wondering if this is... I mean, we are well before psychoanalysis. We're a good, what, 30 years before psychoanalysis even had its first glimmers, I think. Mm. But this does feel a little bit like the denial and the repression here is extraordinary. Yeah. Where I, This whole bit where Scrooge is like, who's dead? I don't get it. And, <laughs> and it's it's mortifying. Is this bad writing or is this some sort of like early... No, I think it is like that. Okay, yeah, like right. thing. Yeah. Two and a half thousand years between Sophocles and Dickens, there were all these... People could vaguely get a hold of psychoanalytic concepts but couldn't articulate them. Next, we move from the high business district to a low business district. An old fence is buying this same dead man's personal effects from the old man's, uh, the dead man's servants. Towels, spoons, stationery, bed curtains, even the sheets he was going to be buried in. Oh, your curtains got jacked, Abby. I love any subplot with a charwoman. 
Yeah. When you mention charwoman, I'm in. I like I fences as well. So. Yes. Yeah. So this is, I mean, the, this section, frankly, this could have been the novel for me. I want, I want this whole book told from their perspective. <laughs> so the servants, they've broken into this guy's house to get their wages and whatever, and you know, steal stuff. And they're like, well, no one liked the dead guy, so and he didn't have anyone to leave his stuff to, so it's fine. I, I don't want to be a total cop about this, but this is surely a felony B and E. I mean. Do you really want to risk doing a nickel in the big house over some curtains? You just go and hide in a rookery for a few months and you're fine. <laughs> yeah, Scrooge is disturbed, but he doesn't get it. He's like, I see, I see, the case of this unhappy man might be my own. My life turns that way now. Merciful heaven, what is this? The ghost transports Scrooge to the body of the man himself. The dead guy that everybody's talking about in a bitchy way. Scrooge cannot bear to look upon its face. So, Scrooge begs the ghost of Christmas Future to show him anyone in town who feels any emotion at all over this mysterious man's death. And so they're transported into the house of a poor family who had owed this dead guy money. And the husband in this family had been trying to renegotiate his loan, but he couldn't get a hold of the money lender because turns out this guy was ill and dying. You know? hey. um, now somebody else is going to take over this loan, and the family don't know who it is yet, but they're delighted because whoever takes it over could not be worse than this original guy. So they all cheer his death. Scrooge is like, I don't mean that kind of emotion. Let me see some tenderness connected with a death. A, a being the operative word here. Good, nice and specific, Scrooge, thanks. So we're transported then to Bob Cratchit's house and everyone is really sad, but only sad because Tiny Tim has finally kicked the bucket. Look at me crying over here. Yeah, wow. Look, look at, at these that. tears. The floors sitting. Flooding. They're the genuine article, these tears. Yeah. So Scrooge gets to see what it's like for somebody to actually mourn a dead person, and Dickens just really drizzles the melodrama over the section of the book like it's goddamn maple syrup. Finally, Scrooge asks to know the identity of the dead man he saw. The ghost of Christmas yet to come takes Scrooge to a churchyard and gestures toward a particular gravestone. Yet more melodrama. Do you think Dickens is going after some sort of Guinness record here? <laughs> I, I, it is absurd, isn't it? The level of, like, sort of trickily, uh, whatever. But, yeah, anyway. Scrooge, he kind of knows what's going on, but he, he, you know, ever the wheeler dealer, he's like, here's the deal, Sonny. <laughs> Before I draw nearer to that stone to which you point, answer me one question. Are these the shadows of the things that will be, or are they shadows of things that may be only? The ghost doesn't answer. That's because the ghost only points. The ghost is a painting of John the Baptist hidden under a trench coat. That is an art history joke. Scrooge approaches the neglected grave and reads his own name. The bombshell, the, the novel's bombshell, novella, if you will. Not bombshella, if you will. Uh, <laughs> Scrooge is upset. It's not nice seeing your own grave. Uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, yeah, we'll know it. And he's like, is it too late to change this outcome? No, Scrooge, you're going to you die yeah, you one die. day. <laughs> I'm not the man I was. I will not be the man I must have been but for this intercourse. Why show me this if I'm all past hope or past all hope or all hope past? <laughs> all of the above. Scrooge is like... I resolve to honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. I will live in the past, the present, oh yeah, and the future. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. I will not shut out the lessons that they teach. Oh, tell me I may sponge away the writing on this stone. The ghost 
Taciturn fellow doesn't say anything and just kind of implodes and turns into one of Scrooge's bedposts. Scrooge is in bed. That's yet more unrealistic body expectations for me to live up to. I can't implode and turn into a bedpost. Thanks, yeah, yeah, Dickens. Yeah. Thanks. So I was thinking, actually, as one of my friends observed years ago when we were talking about this book, how much of Scrooge's change of heart is because he's actually learned a lesson from a haunting, and how much is just because he had a stroke in the middle of the night? Um, There's some Christmas cheer for you. Well, Christmas cheer. Yeah, have you had a stroke in there? <laughs> <laughs> um, so Scrooge is delighted to wake up and still have bed curtains. Priorities. He's also happy to have his gruel pan still there. My dude. So then Scrooge pops his head out the window and yells down at a local urchin, Boy, what day is it? And the boy says, It's Christmas Day, sir. And he says it in small capitals, doesn't he? The whole <laughs> start of speaking in small capitals. <laughs> but it's Christmas Day and Scrooge hasn't missed it. What time is it? What is it the same day that we started doing this? Because uh, it feels like it's been months. Uh, I'm not really sure, but I also don't want to ask dumb questions that can't be answered. Just don't don't query his singularity, man. No, I'm talking about our experience of recording this. <laughs> so Scrooge asks if the boy knows the local poulterer shop, and the boy says, Why, yes, sir. And Scrooge, despite this urchin who presumably lives locally, knowing where a local shop is, Scrooge is all in raptures about how smart this boy is. Oh, he's being Calm nice. Calm the fuck down. Can't make up for 60 years of being a friend. I would also love it if Scrooge became a hardcore unionist and got really into, like, why do poulterers have to work on Christmas Day oh, to I thought you meant, like, me. why do the people of Ulster want to be part of Ireland? <laughs> Very funny. Yeah. Anyway. Syndicalist is the term. Or trade unionist. <sighs> Polter is a pretty bourgeois anyway, they wouldn't be in unions. So, do, you have any, do you have any more notes? You um, should give me mid-show. Uh, I mean, I already know that you were going to say that, so I, I have to give it a mid-show. <laughs> unfortunately. So Scrooge makes this boy run to the polterer and buy a prize turkey, which they describe as a f***ing mutant turkey. Oh, I mean, that's a weird bit, isn't it? This yeah. turkey is not of the Lord, but it is perfect for sitting. I mean, this this turkey is like a sectional sofa, is what they're describing. Also, can Scrooge not run his own damn errands here? Scrooge gets himself all dolled up, and he promenades around town and greets everyone, and he gives a bunch of money to charity, and then he drops it on Fred, and they have a wonderful Christmas day playing games and eating sugar plum pudding. They still bitch about him, he's just there. <laughs> It's like quite low-key, isn't it? Like, in all the films, like, Scrooge is, like, dancing with everyone in the street. The whole of London is all, like, you know, puking with delight. In this, it's just like, yeah, I just went to my nephew's house. It's just a quiet, quiet, quiet Christmas. Yeah, they play some party games, they eat some oranges. Can I just say, and, and we might get some hate mail for this, but oranges are bullshit. I like a good clementine. I don't want to work that hard to eat something that is ultimately still covered in string. It's like eating the inside of a baseball. I think the kindest thing you could say about an orange is, well, at least it's not a pear. <laughs> um, Christmas is over. The next day is Boxing Day. They don't talk about that. I just thought I'd say Boxing Day. We don't have Boxing Day in America. In America. That's what I thought I'd say, to be honest, for all of our American listeners. The day after Christmas. 
So, yeah, when you just love to go back to work, don't you? Next day, Bob turns up late to work. He's got a hangover, doesn't he? Isn't, <laughs> he pretty much isn't kind of that, that the, the implication? Yeah. He's like, sorry, sir. I had a big visited, drink. <laughs> been visited by three spirits last night, if you get my drift. Uh, <laughs> Scrooge, puts, he puts on a bit of a show. He does a sort of like Simon Cowell, doesn't he? He puts on a show at being cross. He's a, uh, he's such a p*** in this section. I, you think? I, I, he's I, like, no, I, I, I hate this. What? better when he genuinely meant it, is that what you're thinking? Yes, this is a cruel thing to do to he's, somebody. He's like, I'm not going to stand this sort of thing any longer. A sacking is on the cards, or a firing, as they say in America. Instead, however, he's like, I'm going to raise your salary. Uh, and he's like, Bob, make yourself a big fire. By the way, Scrooge has been tight with fires until now. And he's like, have a drink of smoking bishop with me. <laughs> and I'll, uh, I don't know what that is. <laughs> I looked it up, it's a type of punch. Great. It's a very um, heavily spiced punch. Right. And he's like, I'm going to help you and your poor family going on. You, you know, bet salary. I've already posted you a turkey. <laughs> you know, things are going well. And the narrator's like, you know, the story's over pretty much. The narrator's like, Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all and infinitely more. And to Tiny Tim, who did not die. Oh, Tiny Tim, just go into the light already. Uh, well, he's dead now, isn't he? Uh, he's 160 years old. <laughs> Wait, 108 years old. Um, he, I always think it's the year 2000. He was a second father. Wait, 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 wait. Pause. Second father. D does Scrooge enter a polycule situation? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you nailed it. Yeah. Right. He became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the good old city knew, or any other good old city, town, or borough in the good old world. <laughs> A lot of good old things. Doubt it, also. Yeah. Even that, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a guy in Swindon who's bloody nicest guy I've ever met. Um, <laughs> even though some people laughed at Scrooge's reformation, he didn't care. That's a bit that always moves me. Um, I, I'm not going to listen to your cynical remarks. Uh, I'm just going to keep on going. He was never in need of spiritual intervention again. There's some kind of joke about him. He made the same joke that you did, actually, didn't he? Uh, Dickens does about being visited by three spirits. He's like, I'm gonna abstain from spirits going forward. So you've been beaten to it. Ugh, oh, I, hate this. I uh, hate this book. Yeah, sorry. So anyway, God bless us, everyone. Hurrah! Can we have a um a post credit scene of Marley sitting in purgatory or wherever he is, going, okay, so should I keep the chains? Should I? Can I take? Yeah, them what off is going on with Marley? Or... That is a big problem, isn't it? No. Did, did Marley get this sort of treatment, or is it like? <laughs> Does the cosmos only allow for the junior partner in firms to get a letter from? And apparently Scrooge's dad, or whatever the hell happened back then. The moral of the story is, you know, everyone is redeemable, everyone deserves a day off, uh, but fuck you if you're a shopkeeper or a manual laborer, white-collar workers only. The end! If ghosts came to you to tell you to change your ways, how would you improve? Well, that's the thing, isn't it? The other thing is, maybe it's quite easy for some London banker at the kind of high point of uh, English capitalism to make a change, mm -hmm. but yeah, what am I going to do? What would you do? What, if ghosts came to me? Yeah. Sling your oak, you'd be like that. Uh, I'd have incredible upper body strength, that's how i change. Yeah, right. <laughs> Okay, cool. Uh, that's the only flaw yeah. I have. Like the ghost of Christmas past. Casting. I'm gonna need you to go with me on this, but this might be the best idea I've ever had. The best casting ever! <laughs> Firstly, do you have any idea how difficult it is to do a new adaptation of A Christmas Carol? Because this has been done 
so many ways. Finding a new angle is very many difficult. Many times, many ways. <laughs> so I'm going to heavily reference two films from the 80s, and hopefully our younger listeners are still slightly aware of these <laughs> in the zeitgeist. <laughs> you will know both of these. Okay. At the heart of A Christmas Carol, what is it? It's an intervention story. <laughs> a friend from your past who sees that you need to change the trajectory of your life. So we open on Wallace Shawn in a restaurant. <laughs> it's been exactly 40 years since his famous dinner with Andre, and he has found out that his beloved friend has just died after a long illness. And Wallace hasn't actually been consistently living his life to the fullest to connect with his friends, like he sort of promised his friend Andre years ago he would do. So he sits at this table, trying to honor his fallen friend, and a voicemail comes through. And it's from his friend Andre Gregory before he died. His last act was to arrange something to pull Wally out of his funk, to connect with him again, like he did so many years before. And he's arranged to have three of Wally's friends come to visit him at the restaurant that night. The first of these friends, Carrie Elwes. He and Wally talk fondly about their time on The Princess Bride, the hopes and dreams they had when they were younger, the careers they could have had. He leaves and is replaced by Mandy Patinkin. They talk about where they are now. The battleship Potemkin. Mandy Patinkin. Right, okay. Inigo Montoya. All right. <laughs> Jesus. So they talk about their careers now, you know, how different these, these careers have been from their early days, the wonderful variety they actually enjoy today, but what's still missing? And as he stands up to leave, he puts on the table a picture of Andre the Giant. Yeah, we're starting and ending with Andre's. Uh. In the Holocaust cloak from The Princess Bride. And Wally just silently stares at this picture, and he monologues to the picture about his anxieties about death, about his future, the future that was taken away from Andre the Giant too soon. Andre the Giant, we hardly knew you. And feeling unburdened and unafraid of death, he pays the bill and leaves. The end. Are you alright? That's... <laughs> I want this adaptation so badly. Right. I want it now, and I want it to rule. I think that would be hilarious. Sir, was that a particularly depressing thing? I thought that was darkly funny. I thought it's madly esoteric, is what I'm thinking. No? Okay. Wallace Shawn needs to learn the message of My Dinner of Andre and <laughs> The Princess Bride. With Peter Falk as well, that's the other thing I'm annoyed about. Peter Falk needs to be in every adaptation we do. And he's, he's, he's obviously the waiter. The waiter, what, doing the slightly dodgy looks? At, yes! Yeah. Great, okay, that's cool. And one more thing. He was what, never... What do you want for your appetizer? But he was never in the scene with Wallace Shawn. Whereas the other uh, three were. This they were, TV they was... <laughs> I'm pointing at my head, listeners. Okay. Should we do some analysis now that I've, I guess, thoroughly bummed you out? Sorry to be a super That's downer. Fine. I thought it was funny. That's fine. No, it wasn't a downer. It was, okay. just, it was just... I was just worried really... about you. I just did that. <laughs> <laughs> this is really mad. It's not mad. Come on. Who made the Christmas is like, <laughs> the career of Wallace Shawn. Because it's an intervention story. That's the angle that I went with. And I was like, what's the best intervention story I know? It's this. What do you think people in offices next to me think we're doing yeah, here? Yeah, it's a bit embarrassing. Uh, melodramatic, manipulative. Yeah, so, okay. What, what is our emotional response to this then? Because we've, we've said throughout the whole episode, you and I have had very different emotional responses to this text. Mm. 
I find Dickens a little tryhard here. I think he is he is not letting it build up naturally, and maybe it's because this this book is actually very short. Yeah, it's a bit of a romp. Yeah, but that doesn't leave a ton of space for emotional development. It all happens very quickly. It's a stocking filler, isn't it? In all senses of that term. Yeah. Yeah. But why why do you connect with it? I don't know. That's the weird thing. Um, I think it is just such a kind of um, it's almost the the intensity of it, the kind of ridiculous tryhardiness of it almost becomes part of the moving the thing that moves me the, uh, the actually I really get a sense of a guy that really wants you to think about this stuff in the, and he's like just bringing everything out the kid, throwing the kitchen sink in and everything and that I think that almost kind of moves me I don't know why it's that's the weird thing there's just a few things that really just always hit me in this way and I don't know why uh, but yeah you just think it just leaves you cold this leaves me completely cold because I feel manipulated it's not this doesn't feel like a rich portrait of real people. This feels like a lot of stock characters. It's so rushed. I don't connect with anyone. I don't know who to root for here. Like, Tiny Tim is so sickening. He's not a real child. He is, he, as I said before, he feels like the adult's idea of what a precocious perfect child should be, but I'm like, what? I think that is it for me, though, the level of abstraction. I think real portrayals of real people would leave you with a much more ambivalent feeling, because, like, real life is ambivalent isn't it? But this is just so intensely concentrated on the one side. But I can't connect with anyone because they're all cardboard cutouts of people. These aren't... Yeah. I, I, I leave, it's, it's nothing to me. They're I nothing. I say that Dickensian characterization is flat, but... Not it, always, though. But, no, let me finish, though. Sorry. Dickensian characterization is flat, but that's... It just feels so true to being in England. Like... The people, people in England really are like Dickensian characters. You okay, hon? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would like a version where Scrooge is too late. He's ballsed it up. Everybody still hates him. And all like, he's so out of practice of being good that everything he does kind of makes it worse. Ooh, That'd I like be that. so depressing, wouldn't it? Well, like, he tries to be nice, but he's just really patronizing. Yeah. And... So, uh, yeah, I think that would be interesting, a kind of really depressing version of this. Or, or a version in which... Scrooge goes forward with the ghost and it just reaffirms all of his biases, everything. He's at, like, the ghosts are bad at this. That was the... Have you seen the Blackadder Christmas special? Isn't it's, that where he starts out nice and then turns and the horrible? Con- yeah, inadvertently convince him to be evil. Yeah. yeah. So that's a sort of similar thing, isn't it? The narrator, pretty jolly guy. We haven't really talked about the narrator in this, but the, the narrator, it's this third-person narration. And the narrator's almost a character... Yeah themselves. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the voice is so strong. They're making all these jokes. They're cracking wise. They're like, oh, come with me. They're, like, they're a ghost leading us, the yeah. Scrooge figure, through this story. Well, it's the mise on a beam, isn't it? The ghosts... It is a ghost story that's trying to move us in the same way that... But via a ghost story that's trying to move Scrooge. So it's, it's all kind of happening on hmm. different levels. Yeah. Yeah, so what about the morality of it then? Because it seems like... It's more about... It's like it's, it's very middle class, isn't it? It's more about individual behaviour, charity, rather than, like, social change. Although the ghosts do scro- uh, show Scrooge society at large, so they have this kind of social message, but in the end it's just about, like, what you can do yourself. I think there's a kind of, like, yeah, yeah you can only do so much, you know, Scrooge, don't worry about it. I was thinking about the materiality of this. Dickens loves... He, I was so overwhelmed with his lists... Everywhere you go, he's like, and then there's this and this and this yeah. and this, and there are crowds Luscious of people. Luscious pears. And, yeah, uh, yes, it's just, but like everywhere you go, and we saw the the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, the tinker, the tailor, the soldier. Yeah. The and I'm just like, oh my god! Like you're you're for such a small book, he's just hitting you with waves of stuff and people, and I actually really like that because 
it shows sort of how crowded mm. London was yeah. and, and how pokey some of these houses were and things. But I was thinking, you know, like, this needs to be decreased in terms of the surplus population. Yes, yeah, yeah. This is, um... You're having some Malthusian literary criticism. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, just, I thought that was really interesting in that Christmas does sort of come down to... It's not a very spiritual book for all that there are three spirits in it. It's not very religious. It's not very spiritual. It's all about the material things there. Mm. It's the people and the stuff to some yeah. extent and, and sort of the goodwill, but like on an individual level, it's not like the religion is, is absent, Virtually absent from yeah. this. I mean, they do talk about God a bit, don't they? And God blesses everyone. And you know, Tim, yeah, t- time Tim goes to church yeah. and things like that. But I mean, in this book, Christmas is all about like huge pieces of meat getting cosmic therapy and wearing a bathrobe for three days straight. That's the Holy Trinity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's the Victorian kind of invention of Christmas though, isn't it? Christmas to us is, has a sort of quasi-secular quality. That mm-hmm. it's, it's not really secular, it has a kind of spirituality. Like, I'm not religious but I am spiritual. <laughs> it's like that is what Christmas is. It's kind of, it's, it's lost what a lot of its former kind of purely religious uh, Christian mm. sort of stuff. And I think this, we're at ground zero of that here. This has stuck with us for so long. This is still so huge in the popular culture. We get a new adaptation of this every few years, yeah. certainly every 10 years, you know, since 1843. You could see this being a real paradigm shift in terms of how people Think perceive Christmas. Christmas. This this is like set that in stone. It's, but it's weird, isn't it? Because it's the character of religious thought that there is a moral cosmic order. Yes. Miracles can happen and change people's behavior and stuff, but without any actual like precise content yes. associated with Christianity. Yeah. So my advice, I've given you some little tricklings of advice throughout this whole podcast. I'm feeling generous. It's a little, little Christmas present. My advice, and this isn't so much advice as a gift that you can give yourself and my permission to give yourself this gift. So... This is my first time reading A Christmas Carol. I mean, <gasps> what? <laughs> I've obviously seen adaptations of it. I obviously know this just from popular culture. But I'm a Victorian scholar, and I've never read this book. <gasps> what? Now, Daniel, this is my advice. Okay, carry on. I could feel really bad about not having read this before, but at the end of the day, you can't read everything. Speak for yourself. Uh, I'm sorry, how many times have you read uh, Tess of the Durbervilles? <laughs> yeah, Any Thomas Hardy? Of the books on this have been my first time. I know, yeah. <laughs> but, so gaps in knowledge and gaps in experience are normal. You cannot have read everything. And the gift I'm giving you, the advice I'm giving you here, is that anyone who gasps and makes you feel bad about having never read a book mm-hmm. is an asshole. <gasps> also, on the other side of things, I love this book. And you can still trash a book that you love, I think, is another... Uh... Sometimes when you like things, it's not apparent why yeah. it works. That, that's sometimes harder to recognize. I mean, I failed to articulate it here, but I think a good place to start is to think why you like it. You know, it's almost... You kind of have to analyze your own pleasure in a kind of weird psychoanalytic way. Yeah. You know, I think there's... You know, it's, it's, it's kind of a... It ends up being a lot more interesting, actually, if you yeah. start exploring those sorts of things. Like, what, what is it about this that I like? So we've actually released on Twitter what our next episode is. So uh, starting in probably, what is it, mid to late January sometime. We haven't, I don't think we've quite picked dates when the next episode will be released. We're going to take a bit of a hiatus, but we'll be coming back in mid to late January 2022 with Gulliver's Travels, which I am reading 
1000% against my that's, will. That's classic post-Christmas blues text, isn't uh, it? Yeah, yes, Daniel has insisted that we read this. We're going to be doing all of the plotless books next series, aren't mm. we? <laughs> Anatomy of Melancholy, Tristram Shandy, <laughs> The Man Without Qualities, Flatland. Flatland, something by Kathy Acker. No, we are not. We are, we are doing all the, the heavy hitters. We're just starting with a book that I hate, so you can come back and listen to me be enraged. Uh, good, good way to get my energy up after Christmas. Yeah. We're looking at another season of 12 episodes taking us into the summer, and then maybe we'll take a little break then and, and figure out you know, where we are going forward. If you are looking for more Christmas content, uh, we, we mentioned this before, but we do have our Sir Gawain and the Green Knight episode, which is, I think, even more of a Christmas episode than this one. <laughs> and I think, you, you disagree with me slightly, I think that's our funniest episode. I really love that episode. If you haven't read Sir Gawain, you don't need to know this text. Just trust me, the plot is bonkers. It's very sex-heavy. Enjoy that if you're looking for something else to listen to while you wrap your presents. So please write into our email at savemefromyshelf at gmail.com or tweet us at smfms underscore podcast. Take a couple of minutes and subscribe if you wouldn't mind. It just really helps us out. And, you know, from all of us here at Save Me From My Shelf, by which I mean me and Daniel, have have a wonderful winter break and, you know, may Santa remain credulous to you and blind to all of your misdeeds. Wow, yeah, very good. <laughs> Christmas. And Happy New Year. No, I don't, I don't wish yeah. that for you. Well, I'm looking forward to Hogmanay. <laughs> uh, you know, and we've lost our last remaining Scottish listener. Oh, uh, that was a Danish accent. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Save Me From My Shelf. Our music is The Overture to Don Giovanni by Mozart, and cover art is by Catherine Wu. Our thanks to Aston University's Centre for Critical Inquiry and to Society and Culture for funding the startup of this podcast. Contact us at savemefrommyshelf at gmail.com or at smfms underscore podcast on Twitter. And do not... I'm going to remind you, do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Do not forget. Thank you.